Welcome in to episode seven of Shake Down the Numbers. My name is Cooper Klaus, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jack and Cannon. Jack, how's it going? Going well, going well. Slightly delayed show here with some technical issues and, and scheduling difficulties, but happy to be talking about the, the Boston College game, even if it is a few days late. So excited to get into the stats here. Yeah, recording this on Friday morning. Sorry about that, everyone, for getting this out a little late. We had some issues um, with Wi-Fi on Tuesday and just um, we were trying to get it out Thursday and just worked out better for, for on Friday for the both of us. So um, getting this out to you, it's not a huge deal, I don't think, with a buy. So appreciate your patience. But anyways, today we'll be breaking down Notre Dame's 45-31 victory over Boston College. Probably be a little bit quicker this time since it's a little far, far away from the game. Uh, just giving you some key stats and kind of things to look forward to framing for the rest of the season. So let's get started with Notre Dame's offense. Ian Book was awesome once again in this game. He's really stepped up his level of play the last two weeks. He averaged 0.31 EPA and 10 yards per drop back. And he's still, he, not necessarily him, but Notre Dame still left points on the board due to some mistakes by his teammates. Yeah, Kyron Williams fumbled on a catch off an Ian Book throw. That cost Ian Book 3.4 EPA off of his total because, you know, a, th- a pass that results in a fumble, even though it's not Ian Book's fault, is still going to be reflected in his drop back stats and in passing stats. Um, yeah, ben Skoranek. Fu- sorry, one thing to add real quick. Yeah, we don't have air yard EPA, so we can't give Book credit for everything up to the fumble. We just have the exact result. So what Jack's saying is exactly right. Yeah, and another example of how EPA is, you know, better than yards, better than some stats, but it is certainly not all-encompassing. And, you know, the Skoranek fumble only happens because Book throws a great deep pass. Uh, that, and then his fumble costs 3.9 EPA. And then Lawrence Keyes had a drop on a deep ball. It was, you could argue that it was wrestled away from him, but a, a, ball, a great pass by Book either way uh, cost 1.1 EPA. So with, with those three mistakes by his teammates, Ian Book's EPA, with those removed, Ian Book's EPA gets up to 0.63, which is like Joe Burrow 2019 type production, which I think is consistent with the eye test. I mean, he was all over the field in that game. I, I thought he was almost perfect attacking down the field. Yeah, and the production's been been there prior to Clemson. We didn't really, but we didn't really see him target downfield as much, but we're seeing that more and more as each week kind of goes on. Only four throws um, against Boston College tar- targeted behind the line of scrimmage. These are generally inefficient anyways, like screen passes to wide receivers, to running backs that are kind of staples of offenses, but really don't move the needle that much. And Notre Dame's moving more and more away from it. And it, I think it's a sign that Tommy Reese has finally started to trust Book more and more, something we've been kind of hammering him to do um, since really the Duke game. Yeah, and this is a great example of a game where you have to dig a little bit deeper than the, the EPA stats. Uh, Ian Book had a negative 2.47 EPA per play targeting 20-plus yards down the field. Those two plays were a perfect pass to Ben Skoranek, which he caught and subsequently fumbled, and then a perfect pass to Lawrence Keyes that he couldn't haul in. So, you know, when you look at the end-of-game stats or end-of-season stats that speak to deep throwing or, or some segment of the game that where the sample size is going to be small, you have to keep in mind that, you know, it can be shifted a ton based on one or two adverse or one or two 
standout positive plays can, can really impact how your data is going to look. Yeah. That'll get evened out over the long run. Um, maybe a season, a couple seasons where book has some help maybe on throws that really shouldn't be completed. That is wide receivers bail them out on. We'll even out kind of these ones where he places perfect balls um, for his playmakers and they just can't come down with it or they turn it over subsequently. So um, in the short run, game to game level, it can be pretty noisy. So I would, don't read too much into um, the negative EPA going deep because Book, Book did his job perfectly. Um, just there's going to be noise game to game, but over the course of a season, maybe a couple seasons, that'll even out. Yeah, absolutely. And a critical reason why Book was so successful in this game was he got his three main wide receivers involved again. Avery Davis was spectacular, averaging 1.25 EPA per target. Ben Skoranek, even despite the fumble, was so efficient in this game that his EPA remained at 0.7 EPA per target despite that one killer play with an average depth of target of 12.5 yards down the field. And in this game, Javon McKinley was running the shorter routes. He had an average depth of target of 6.8. That was typically Avery Davis's role in the past. I wouldn't read too much into that other than to say that the, the old divvying of the workload where it was Davis running short and McKinley and Skoranek running those deep and intermediate routes. I think it's not safe to say that both McKinley and Davis are being trusted to run the entire route tree, which is great to see. Yeah, I think it's a, actually an advantage where teams won't be able to key in on just McKinley for the deep ball and just Davis on the shorter kind of intermediate crossing routes where they try to get him in space. Since they'll be able to run the full route tree, they've shown that they can. It, I think it puts a bigger challenge um, on the defensive side of the ball for opponents to try and defend Notre Dame where it's a little bit more unpredictable, I think, for Notre Dame. Absolutely. And I think we saw that against Clemson. I mean, they were not ready for Avery Davis to be taking the top off the defense like that because that was just not how he was used all season to that point. But he has really grown. He is right up there with McKinley and Skoranek. And then it's those three. You have Tremble and Mayer and you have everybody else. So those are the kind of the five – targets in the receiving game I think we're going to see going forward it's hard to complain about the passing it's impossible to complain on a day like we just saw I do think in future games having Mayer and Tremble only receive two combined targets is not the best way to leverage having those assets at the tight end position but again it's one game it's certainly worked on Saturday so I'm not overly worried about it yeah, I think it gets to nitpicking almost at that point. Where Absolutely. Absolutely. I, don't, I don't think Notre Dame has like a complement of riches because our receivers have been very good. They're not elite-level talent, if we're being honest. But it's similar to like the Cowboys, I guess, pre-Dak Prescott injury, where you have three very good receivers, and someone's going to get left out just just because football is a limited like sample size game. There's only 25 to maybe 40 pass attempts in a game. So someone's going to get left out and just like – not have much on their plate in this game. It was just tremble in there, but I wouldn't read too much into it. I think it, it changed. It's changed week to week. Who's kind of been the focal point. Who's kind of seen their targets or uh, role diminished. So I think it's more of kind of a function of what the defense's strengths are, what they're showing and kind of what they're giving Notre Dame as options. I love that, man. People say we're negative. Do you see Avery Davis as more of a Michael Gallup or more of a CD lamb? What, what do you think is his? <laughs> that is for? not, that is not <laughs> read into that. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> Our receivers are very we're negative. I, Come on. I, I've been hammering Avery Davis, not hammering. But I've been been. The only, like, maybe the only, like if we're, if we consider ourselves analysts, which we barely are, but if we <laughs> were, if we're analysts, I might be the only one or might have been the only one who was saying Avery Davis could fill in Braden, Braden Lindsay's role 
and really break out in this offense. And I think I called that after the Pittsburgh game. They kind of it's come to fruition in the last few weeks. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's move. Let's talk about the running backs real quick. I tweeted this out earlier this week. Um, just kind of Notre Dame's rushing stats versus passing EPA per play in games one to two. The rushing EPA per play was 0.27. Passing was negative 0.08. RTDB run the damn ball was the rallying cry of all the fan base. After watching those two games, it was hard. I think for on our end to really kind of had any credibility in getting Tommy Reese in the offense to throw the ball more often, given what we saw. But in games three to eight after that, rushing EPA per play dropped to 0.09, and passing has risen to 0.25. And on the season, passing's at 0.2, rushing's at 0.08. Passing is why this team's winning, and the running backs have, I don't want to say struggled, because I think it's unfair to them, because I think Tommy Reese is still not putting them in great positions to kind of succeed, but it's it's not an issue, but it's starting to become like, a, I don't know, like an average-ish unit. What do you think? I mean, people keep blitzing, I think. I think that's a huge, huge aspect of it, and it's why we're seeing Book be so successful. And, and Pete Sampson tweeted some stats that Book has been great against drop eight as well. So I think that our passing game is just matured to the point where regardless of what the defense gives you, we're able to exploit it in some way or another. You do have to wonder about the rushing attack. I mean, the rushing has been good. In this game, it was good. Again, if you take out the fumble, the EPA is up over zero. There's a lot of teams in college football that can't rush for positive EPA, including Boston College in this game. But it's it's not the elite unit that it was, and it's not the elite unit that some people expect it to be. It certainly still has a role in this offense. I mean, we're, all we advocate for is that you kind of pass to the point where passing is no longer gaining efficiency. And – Notre Dame has not reached that point yet. So, you know, in this game, it's also worth noting that the Irish really took their, their foot off the pedal here. Like this was not the, you know, yeah, Notre, Dame passed, Notre Dame passed more than it threw against Clemson. They probably should have passed more. But in this game, Notre Dame passed 27 times in the first half and ran 18 times. That seems like a good mix to me, even though the rushing was far less efficient. And then in the second half, they ran 25 times. They passed seven times. I think that that's worth noting too with the run game. Although even the running was actually more efficient when they in the second half when they ran more. But you know the Irish, it's hard to have full takeaways from the full game stats in this game just because the Irish really called the dogs off. Let's talk about Kyron real quick before we move on to BC and the his fumbling issues. Maybe they're not an issue yet, but it's starting to become kind of a concern. PFF has him at a forty six point four fumbling grade, which is. Not great. Six, about 70 is about average. So he's pretty far down the list. It's not like a one-off kind of thing. And I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about him? He has a huge workload. So maybe it's not like a, if in terms of like fumbles per touch, it's not that bad. But it, it's starting to cost the Irish a little bit um, in each game, I think. It is a bit concerning. I mean, it's back-to-back games with a fumble. And the Irish – I think during the 2018 season went like 500 carries in a row without a fumble or something. So a lot of fans aren't accustomed to that. I'm butchering that stat, but it's something like that. I mean, we'll see going forward. I'm not worried about it yet. It's not great. I mean, I think ball security is, is a concern for him more than maybe some subsequent Irish backs, but I think Kyron is so athletic and has shown that he's so able to handle a large workload, which for a college running back where there's so many plays in a game is important and sometimes an issue for young guys because they hit a wall or they can't finish a season because it's just so much more work than a high school season and he's proven so far that he's able to handle it so it's 
a concern for sure. I think that was his fourth fumble of the year, which is not great, but I don't think it's a reason to, to stop giving him the football. Yeah, I think it's probably better to put him in positions to succeed instead of running it on first and ten into eight guys. But um, I think that's it. That's the more like the bigger conversation where there's so many defenders reaching for him. Put him in a better like position where you have a lighter box and you know, like he doesn't have to worry about so many guys trying to um, get the ball away from him. Yeah, and this week it was he got stripped from behind, kind of made it made a great move, made a man miss, and and was kind of resecuring the ball and and had it stripped away from him. And that's just going to be coaching in the long run. He's a young guy, and that's just going to be coaching him up to to get him to the point where you know those things aren't happening anymore. That happens in the NFL too. It's 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 part of the game. So, and, and I am glad that you know after his fumbles this season, especially against Florida State, I remember this happening. Brian Kelly goes right back to him, gets him the football, shows confidence, which you know I think is a, a is welcome. I, I think the days of I think I've mentioned this before, but the days of you know, guys fumbling and, and getting sent to the bench immediately. That's that's not good for Kyron. It's not good for the Notre Dame. It's not good for anyone. So it's it's good to see Brian Kelly put him right back out there after fumbles. Yep, definitely. Agreed there. Okay, let's move on to Boston College. We'll wrap up here. Um, Phil Dracovic is the story of the, re- the revenge game. The broadcast kept mentioning it up, how he was going to play angry. Um, and he only threw for 0.04 EPA for drop back. Not, not a great day. Really struggled with accuracy. I think he finished below 50%, I want to say. Uh, but he threw deep a lot with a 12.6 ADOT. And, but he only had averaged 0.38 EPA on throws over 20 yards, which was a vast improvement for the Notre Dame defense um, from prior weeks. Where I think every week um, up to like through Clemson was like 0.6 and up. So 0.3 is about average. So still a little bit below average, but way, way better than they were the previous four weeks. Yeah, and Phil's EPA throwing was actually even worse than his EPA dropping back. He had a negative 0.1 EPA throwing. Uh, he was just efficient scrambling, and that that pulled his numbers back up. He did pick the Irish apart in the middle of the field, to his credit. Uh, intermediate throwing, which is 10 to 19 air yards, he was picking up uh, 0.64 EPA per throw. Uh, they did that. They threw those passes 16 times, which is a ton. Because in the game they threw on 70.8% of their dropbacks, which was a smart game plan. Uh, we knew coming in they weren't going to be able to run the football because they haven't been all year. Uh, and I think it was wise of them to put the ball in Jarkovic's hands, attack down the field, and sort of leave it up to chance that they could beat the Irish secondary. Because I think that was the only matchup they had a chance to even break even in. Their number one receiver, Zay Flowers, averaged negative point. Five EPA per target and 1.9 yards per target. Those are abysmal numbers, and, and it's the second straight week the Irish. Amari Rogers' EPA was was positive against Notre Dame. I believe it was around 0.3, but that was far below his season average. So th- this is two straight games for the Irish secondary, where a team has come in with a defined number one receiver. They're trying to get the football to, and the Irish have just taken them away. I think we, coming into we were lower on Flowers than I think most outlets were. We were. We didn't really understand the hype around him. I think CJ, we were saying CJ Lewis was the, the bigger threat, and he had a pretty good day at 0.69 EPA on six targets, second on the team next to Jalen Gill. Yeah, I, I don't think we, we really understood the hype around Flowers. He received a lot of targets, sure, uh, one of Dracovic's favorite options through the air, but the production just didn't really match. And Yeah, only two of the throws his way were successful all day. And a lot of his targets were deep. Nobody had a deeper average depth of target than him at 15.2. And, you know, when you're throwing 13 targets at somebody 15 yards down the field on average, 
you know, if he if he's able to reel more of those in, this this could have become a real football game. And credit goes to the defense, like you said, for not allowing that to happen because that was the we, we talked about the way that they're going to beat Notre Dame is if they can connect on a ton of deep balls. And they were good throwing intermediate. They were okay throwing deep. But that line right there, Zay Flowers, 13 targets, 15 A dot, negative 0.5 EPA per play. That's the line right there that if you showed me that before the game, I would have told you, yeah, the Irish are taking this one. There's, there is no way they can win with their number one receiver putting up a stat line like that. And that's exactly what happened. And yeah. it's worth noting too that, you know, so they had 31 points. They started a drive at Notre Dame's 19. They started two drives inside the Notre Dame 40. Uh, so those 31 points came at least somewhat from fumbles and turnovers by the offense. So this is similar to the Florida State game in the sense that the, the Irish gave up 31 points on defense, certainly more than most fans are accustomed to. It is nothing to be overly concerned about when you check the EPA stats for Boston College passing and rushing. Uh, the Irish held them in check. Yeah, definitely. And if you're kind of confused why the EPA doesn't match up with Boston College, it's like 31 points. That That's exactly why, what Jack was saying with the starting position. And more so Notre Dame giving, themselves, giving Boston College great field position to start their drives. And, yeah, the only thing with the defense is the fun stat with Clark Lee holding teams to 30 and under points is gone. But that streak. Um, but no, I don't think there's anything there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, one thing I want to talk about real quick before we wrap up is – the play action stats in this game for Boston College. We we said going in, Boston College loves to throw early and often. I think they were 30th in the country or so in passing rate overall at like 66% of the time. They didn't have a good uh, rushing attack. And I think they knew that. They were trying to get the ball into Phil's hands because they knew that's how they would win the game. And that's what they did in this game as well. But once again, play action um, passing was – way more efficient than without. And it, it seemed like Notre Dame was a, once again stopping or just trying to key in and stop the run. On play action throws, Boston College averaged 0.46 EPA and 11.1 yards per play on, I think, 16 plays. Yeah, 16 plays. And But without play action, it was negative 0.29 EPA and only 3.4 yards per play. But against a team that just can't really run the ball at all, you'd think you'd want to uh, – not sell out on the run so much, try and entice them and incentivize them to uh, want to run the ball a little bit more and, and take away their biggest threat, which is Dracovic in the passing game. Yeah, this is the second straight week that's happened. It made more sense against Clemson because they sold yeah. out against the run successfully and it did change the game. But this is against the second Travis straight Etienne week. Too, yeah. yeah, but this is the second straight week where Notre Dame has been torched by play action. So something to watch going forward. Uh, you know, if, if the Irish are – keying in on the run that aggressively against Sam Howell and USC and UNC that could really have an impact on the game, but that's uh, a podcast for a later day. And USC is a, a podcast for a later year at this point. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. USC. Yeah. I don't think USC is going to happen. Thanks. <laughs> hey, they can schedule um, teams out of conference now. Yeah. It's just, for me, it's concerning against you. Only UNC really, because they have the best rushing attack in the ACC over 0.2 yards per carry and their second in, point two EPA per play. I mean, yeah, sorry. Point two EPA, not yards. I could yeah. probably, I could <laughs> probably get like over point two yards of carry behind this offensive yeah. line. I think. Yeah. That's way below replacement level. But, <laughs> um, and then they have the second best passing um, offense in terms of EPA per play as well. So it's a little concerning there. If they continue to sell on the run so much, Sam Howell is, if you, I think DJ, him and DJ are the tied for second. You could pick between them. Who's the second best quarterback in the ACC, but, Against a quarterback that good, a top 10 quarterback in the country, in my opinion, 
you can't afford to do that and just sell it against the run. You need to provide some help, a little bit more help back. And he's like Jakovic, he likes to throw the ball deep, but he actually has the accuracy to burn you. And I think that's the concerning thing for me if they continue with this game plan of selling out to stop the run and biting so hard on play action where it could be a problem. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into that a little more next week on the the UNC pod. So keep an eye out for that. I imagine we will not release that on Thanksgiving. We'll probably knock that out in the days before that. No, the the game's on Friday, so probably probably Wednesday. Yeah, so we'll 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 keep you updated. But thanks for bearing with us. The schedule was weird this week, uh, but we got the Boston College podcast done. (laughs) Now it's time to move on to UNC. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Our Recap articles already out um, on onefootdown.com. You can check it out there. And find us on Twitter at nd underscore fb underscore analytics. And, yeah, we'll be back probably Tuesday or Wednesday previewing the game. It's a Friday Friday afternoon game, so just keep that in mind for your plans uh, on the holiday weekend. And thanks for listening. And as always, go Irish.